1: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. You may currently find yourself in a situation where you're distracted all of the time, not just from external factors, but because of internal factors of your feelings of uncertainty or fear or frustration. And that's why I thought this would be a great moment to revisit the conversation that I had with Nir Ayal, author of the book Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention – and choose your life. This is a book that I've been coming back to again and again recently, and it pairs really well with last week's episode with James Clear on Atomic Habits, because one of the things that James says is that habits are about pain management or avoiding pain. And Nir Eyal says all human behavior is driven by a desire to escape discomfort, and that means that time management, productivity, is pain management. And we could all use a little bit more pain management at this point. So if you missed the episode last week with James Clear, go back and listen to that one or keep listening to this one and then go back to that one afterwards. But either way, both of these are very important conversations to to revisit if you've already heard them before or listen to them for the first time. So I'll get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with Nir Ayal. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show Nir Ayal. Nir, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks so much, Eric. It's great to be here.
1: I talk to people about their new books all the time, and I get lots of pitches. And so when someone writes a book that's all about just like not being distracted, I'm like, haven't we covered this enough already? And I am so glad that I am so wrong. This is the productivity book I honestly didn't know I needed, but you didn't start with this. This is your second book. Your first book really had to do with habits mm-hmm. and you know the way that products – hook us, that they Mm -hmm. form addictions where we can't not have those products because they form addictions into inserting themselves in our lives. And that's essentially a good thing from a business perspective, for sure. But as a consumer, you know, mm, I don't know. Anyways, uh, Mm -hmm. but that's what the book Hooked was about. What was the idea of going from hooked over to indistractable?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So what you said in the very beginning of like, oh, do we do do we need this? It's all been covered. And and uh, so I read all those books. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I found that they didn't work for me. And because all the books basically said the same thing, all the books out there basically said, technology is a problem. Technology is melting your brain, go on a digital detox, do a 30 day plan, meditate, and you won't get distracted anymore. And I tried all of it. I got myself a flip phone from Alibaba I uh, bought myself a 1990s word processor from eBay and I said, okay, I did what the book said. No more technology, right? It's only the older type technology. I can't get constantly distracted with Facebook and Reddit and YouTube and all that stuff. Now I'm going to be super productive. And of course, that didn't happen <laughs> because I'd sit down at my desk and I'd uh, I'd say, oh, you know, there, you know, there's that book I've been meaning to read. Or or, or uh, let me just tidy up my desk real quick. Or, you know, I probably to take out the trash. And I'd constantly find distractions because I hadn't dealt with the root cause of the problem. And, and so that's really why I wrote this book. I mean, I wrote this book because I'm patient zero, right? I, I wrote a book about distraction not because I, I – had the answers, but because I wanted to know the answers. So I spent the past five years trying out many of these productivity techniques and, and, and diving into the propaganda out there versus the truth around technology's role in all this. That in fact, even the way we we talk about this stuff by calling technology addictive and saying it's hijacking your brain and, you know, all this what I, is really not based in science. However, it's a really good story that, that we love to tell ourselves that the technology is, is at fault. That's what's doing it to us. But in reality, this is just the latest version of a new medium uh, that has caused has, uh, causes distraction today. But let, let's be honest with each other here. If if Facebook shut down tomorrow, if Zuckerberg says, you know what, I'm sick of this, I'm, I'm closing down Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp, I'm done. Do we really think people would stop getting distracted? Do we really think we'd start reading Shakespeare and Chaucer in our spare time? Of course not. People have always been distracted. And they always will be distracted unless they know why they get distracted. And so This is why I wrote this book, because I don't think there's a knowledge gap, right? It used to be when information was scarce, you could say, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to lose weight. I don't know how to be more productive at work. I don't know how to have better relationships with my family and my friends. But today, it's all out there. We know what to do. Who doesn't know that a chocolate cake is not as healthy as a salad? Who doesn't know that if you want to be more productive at work, you got to do the work, even the hard stuff? Who doesn't know that to build relationships with people, you need to be fully present with them? We all know this why don't we do it, right? It's more than just getting things done. We also want to know why do we fall off track? And so that's what Indistractable is really about. That's why I call it the skill of the century because if you can master this power, if you have the ability to become Indistractable, think about how your life would change if you did everything you said you would do. uh, That's the skill I most wanted. And so that's why after reading all these books on the topic and none of these techniques working, I decided to research it for myself.
1: I would have always thought the word distractable... I would have went with undistractable, but you went with indistractable, which is probably more grammatically <laughs> correct. But not only that, it has this invincibility, yeah, indistractable tone to it as well.
0: You you nailed it. That's exactly right. So I wanted indistractable to sound like indestructible. Yes. And uh, th- th- that was important to me because this really, you know, if you think the world is distracting now, just wait a few years. <laughs> you know, like It's only there are only going to become more potential distractions in the world as technology becomes more pervasive and persuasive. Uh, we are going to have an increasingly uh, challenging time. If, if you are not the kind of person who understands how to control their attention and choose their life, you're going to be the, this other group of, of people who is going to have their life constantly manipulated by other forces, not just the technology we use. That's just one of many potential distractions, you know, by what your boss wants, by what your kid wants, by what your spouse wants, by what's going on in the news. I mean all of these things are potential distractions and so what I argue is There's nothing evil about this stuff, right? All the other books tell you technology is melting your brain and stop using Facebook and stop checking Reddit. And I think that's rubbish. That in fact, if you think about how we think about distraction, the first place to start is to understand what the word even means. And the best way to understand what distraction is, is to understand what it is not. The opposite of distraction is not focus. Most people think it's focus. It's not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. Both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And you'll notice both words end in the same six-letter word, action, A-C-T-I-O-N. So traction is any action that pulls us towards what we want to do, things that we do with intent. And the time you plan to waste is not wasted time. If you plan to uh, go on Reddit or listen to a podcast or check YouTube videos or play a video game, great, do it. That's traction if that's what you've defined you want to do with your time. Now the opposite of traction is distraction. Anything you do that pulls you away from what you really want to do, things that you didn't plan to do with intent. And what's fascinating about distraction is that it tricks us. So, you know, many times I would sit down at my desk and I'd say, okay, now I'm going to work on that big project I've been procrastinating on. Now I'm going to, you know, write that, that chapter or do that tax thing I had to do or that presentation or whatever the thing is I've been putting off right after I check that email. (laughs) Right Right after I do that quick Google search or right after I do the thing that feels worky, right? It feels like I need to do it. It's on my to-do list. But that's not the point. The point is if you do something, even if it feels worky, I call this pseudo work because what we tend to do are the easy or urgent tasks. And that comes at the cost of the harder tasks that are just as important but perhaps less urgent but if we don't get to work on them now you know what happens you procrastinate procrastinate and procrastinate and you don't do the big important stuff that really moves your life forward so checking email even though it feels like a work task if you're doing it when you plan to work on that big project is just as much of a pernicious distraction as playing a video game because it's not what you plan to do with your time and so my goal i'm not going to tell anybody how to live if you want to play video games if you want to watch youtube videos i don't care what I want you to do is to live according to your values. I want you to do whatever it is that you say is important to you. That's what I want to help you get done.
1: It sounds funny to say this. Not all things are bad. Technology, not bad. Like we're, we're driven to believe that technology, like you said, is the reason we're distracted. But we were distracted before technology. I know I was there. I was in my head. And if we're allowing distraction, it's because we want it. It's because you, you, we may say we don't want it, but it's because we allow it. We can always find another one.
0: Right. And we need to acknowledge that there is hardwiring. Uh, that we have inherited from our evolutionary past that contributes to distraction. Right? People have always been distracted. Socrates and Aristotle talked about it 2,500 years ago. They called it akrasia, the tendency for people to do things against their better interest. I mean, they, literally 2,500 years ago, people were saying, "Boy, isn't the world such a distracting place these days?" <laughs> so this has always been part of the human condition. And we need to we need to take a step back to understand why do we do this? I mean, this is such a fascinating question. If we know what to do. Why don't we do it? That is such an interesting question for me. And it's not, it's much, much bigger and deeper than just the the technology that distracts us. And it turns out to answer this question of why do we do things against our better interest, we have to start with the real basic question of why do we do anything? And if you ask folks, what is the nature of human motivation? Why do we do what we do? Most people, after a little bit of thought, will come up with some answer that sounds basically like carrots and sticks, right? That uh, everything we do is about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. This is called Freud's pleasure principle. Unfortunately, it's not true. That neurologically speaking, we don't do things for the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. But in fact, from a neurological basis, it's pain all the way down. Everything you do is about a desire to escape discomfort, even the pursuit of pleasure. So when you want something, crave it, desire it, there's a reason we say love hurts, because neurologically speaking, that's exactly what's going on. The brain gets us to act by making us feel something, that action will stop that bad feeling. So when you feel cold, that's not comfortable, you put on a jacket. If you go back inside, now you're hot, you take it off. If you are hungry, you feel hunger pings, you eat, and when you're stuffed, oh, that doesn't feel good, you stop eating. So that's physiological sensations. This is called the homeostatic response. The same truth hold, is constant when it comes to psychological sensations. So if you're lonely, check Facebook. If you're uncertain, you Google. If you're bored, you check Reddit, stock prices, ESPN. Lots of th- things cure this uh, uncomfortable sensation of boredom. So if we can agree that all human behavior is spurred by a desire to escape discomfort, listen carefully, that means that time management is pain management. And so that's why I was so excited to be on your show, because this is how we move beyond the to-do list. Because you can use every life hack and every technique in the world about how to be more productive, but if you don't understand this truth that time management is pain management, you are never going to be able to control your attention and choose your life. We have to start by learning tactics to cope with discomfort in order to do what it is we say we're going to do.
1: In the book, you talk all about where are these different pains coming from internally as well as externally. Right. And so I'd love to talk about some of this. You know, so let's start with internal. I knew this to be true when I started reading the book, mm-hmm. but it was a new awareness for me about recognizing that distraction starts from within.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely right. And and uh, that's, that's the most important first step, that when we realize that all our behavior is driven by a desire to escape discomfort, whether it's traction or distraction, we can utilize those uncomfortable sensations for good. Uh, you know, one of the beefs I have with the self-help and personal productivity industry these days is that the industry preaches to people that if you're not happy all the time, if you're not, you know, satisfied, then something's wrong with you. And nothing could be further from the truth, that we have to realize that our species has inherited this perpetual disquietude. We are designed for dissatisfaction. Think about it from an evolutionary basis. If there was ever a group of homo sapiens who were satisfied and happy with life, our ancestors probably killed and ate them, okay? (laughs) Because satisfaction is not evolutionarily beneficial. And so what makes us strive for better, stronger, faster, what helps us create life-saving medicine to, to reach for the stars is dissatisfaction. Now, if we let it get the best of us, it can lead towards distraction. But if we can harness it, if we can utilize it, then it can be our greatest strength because it can move us towards traction. And so what we have to do is to become more aware of these uncomfortable emotional states and use these tactics that I describe in the book to move us towards traction by coping with the discomfort in a healthier manner or fixing the source of the problem. So that's, that's our only two choices. And when we take those two paths, there's techniques we can follow. Uh, but that's really in, in summary, our fork in the road. When it comes to these internal triggers, if we, if we realize that time management is pain management, we have to figure out what's the source of the discomfort. Is it something I can fix in my life? Is it a toxic workplace culture? Is it a failing marriage? Is it financial troubles? That, if that's the source of the problem, well, that has to be fixed first. But the fact is, you're never gonna take away all your pain and discomfort. That's part of being a a human being. And so the only other strategy we can use is how do we cope with that discomfort in a healthier manner? And there are three ways we can do that. We can reimagine the trigger, we can reimagine the task, and we can reimagine our temperament. But I don't wanna talk too long. I'll let you (laughs) you steer here. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I mean, it's clear to me, I mean, again, this was the new piece to me that suddenly clicked in my brain was that the understanding of the pain Mm -hmm. equals the understanding of our internal triggers because basically knowing what the distractions are distracting you from right is the key to understanding how to keep from being distracted
0: right that's exactly right and that was never something that i ever dealt with yeah and and most of us don't learn that and in fact what we do what most people do is they fall into one of two camps i call them the blamers or the shamers the blamers say oh It's the technology that did it to me. You see, it's hijacking my brain. You know, these products, they're built to be engaging. Well, duh. Do we want Netflix? (laughs) Hey, Netflix, can you please make boring shows that I don't want to watch? Um, hey, Facebook, make your product something that, that doesn't, that I don't want to use or, or Apple. Can you make crappy devices that are, are not user friendly? That'd be great. Okay. No, that doesn't make any sense. This isn't a problem. This is progress. Of course we want products to be easy to use, user-friendly, fun to use. They're designed to be engaging. So we can't blame technology for being something we want to use. That's why they are built that way. And I know this from being an industry insider. I know all the psychological tricks that they use. And I can tell you from my first book, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, these techniques are good they're not that good, they're not mind control. they're not addicting all of us. Some people, little asterisks here, some people do get addicted. Just like some people get addicted to alcohol, we're not all alcoholics. Some people do become addicted, but the vast majority of us, this isn't an addiction, this is a distraction. Now the other group of people, who are not the blamers, we call them the shamers. The shamers, and this is the category I used to be in. The shamers, when they go off track, they tell themselves, oh you see, I'm so lazy, why can't I get these things done? What's wrong with me? I must have an addictive personality, I must have a short attention span, and we beat ourselves up in this way that ironically, get this, sends us down this vicious loop of shame, and we know that shame leads to more of the internal triggers, more of the bad feelings that we seek to escape, guess with what? More distraction. <laughs> and so this is the, this is the ridiculous cycle of procrastination I used to fall into of, you know, uh, having to do something, feeling an uncomfortable sensation of boredom, uncertainty, fatigue, stress, whatever it is, not doing it for a little while, like using a distraction to not do it, telling myself I'm a lazy screw up. And then that feels bad. So I do more of the distraction. And so the way you break this vicious cycle is to realize what's going on and that. We shouldn't be blamers or shamers, that neither of those solutions are the right path, that these are behaviors. And guess what? Behaviors can change if we know how to change them.
1: Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search If you enjoy Beyond the To-Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity, from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life, And I'm intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans, available on all podcast platforms, or visit my website, theshoebox.com, T-H-E-S-H-U-B-O-X.com, to learn more. So how do we go about starting to change, you said, reimagining the internal trigger, Mm-hmm. and then reimagining the task and reimagining your temperament.
0: Right. Yeah. So those are the b- three big pillars of how we so if we can't fix the source of the problem, right? We, we're, I'm, not, I, I'm not one of these. I, I love meditation. Meditation is wonderful. But I think some people go off the deep end with meditation. So I'm not criticizing meditation. But what some people say in terms of, of of meditation is basically that, you know, that's the only solution. I don't agree with that. I think if you can fix the problem, you definitely should. OK, so put that in one category of it's not good enough just just to learn to cope. You also need to change the problems in your life that are causing you discomfort. If you can't, right, if you still have these negative sensations, which you definitely will. We all feel boredom and stress, fatigue, uncertainty, loneliness. We all feel that stuff. What you want to do is to start by reimagining the trigger. And you want to look at that at that trigger in a new way, Instead of dealing with that trigger with contempt, this is what most people do, certainly what I used to do, of beating yourself up, of telling yourself that somehow you're deficient, you want to explore that trigger with curiosity. And psychologists tell us that simply noting that sensation is the first step to gaining agency and control over it, that just writing it down empowers you. So uh, there I go, I'm reaching for my cell phone because this task is boring, Okay, I'm going to write down on a piece of paper. I I give people a distraction tracker at the back of my book where they can do this in the book itself or they can print one out at indistractable.com. And by simply writing down that sensation, that's the first step. Then what you want to do, and there's many, many techniques I describe. One of my favorites is called the 10 minute rule. And you tell yourself you can give in to distraction, any distraction you want in 10 minutes, because it turns out that that strict abstinence can actually backfire. This is called the white bear effect. So if I tell you, don't think of a white bear, what are you going to think about? Nothing but a white bear. I
1: already have it in my head. <laughs>
0: there you go. Right. And so this is why abstinence is is it can actually backfire. And we see this with smokers. You know, there's a lot of, uh, of of research that shows that, OK, nicotine is addictive. But it turns out that what's really even more addictive is this cycle of rumination that people go through when they tell themselves, don't smoke, don't smoke. Don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke. Okay, okay, fine, I'll smoke. I can't resist it anymore. And it's kind of like when you pull a rubber band really tight and then you let go. The rubber band doesn't start from where you, you start to pull it. No, no, no. It ricochets out and, you know, it goes way far beyond. So when we tell ourselves, don't, 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 okay, fine. That relief of discomfort, again, all human behaviors is, is driven by a desire to escape discomfort. So the relief of discomfort of telling yourself don't actually feels good. And the brain begins to associate the way I feel good is by giving in, and so we don't we we want to we don't want to go down that path. We don't want strict abstinence when it comes to distraction because when we give in, what we're telling are we're reinforcing that cycle. So here's what we want to do instead: I will tell my my phone. I'll say set a timer for ten minutes when I'm a, when I feel myself about to get distracted, and I say, okay, I can give in to that distraction. I can check email. I can go on Reddit. I can do whatever the thing that I want to do. I eat that piece of chocolate cake in 10 minutes. And in that 10 minutes, I have two choices. I can either get back to the task at hand, or I have to feel that sensation with curiosity rather than contempt. And you would be amazed how in just 10 minutes of doing what psychologists call surfing the urge, just feel that sensation for 10 minutes. You don't even have to do it with your eyes closed, so you don't look weird when you're in the office. You can just sit there and just, just be with that sensation. For most people, nine times out of 10, you won't get to that 10 minutes. You After minute two, three, four, you say, okay, I'm good. I get it. I was bored. This was difficult. Now let's get back to the task at hand. So that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a dozen other techniques that I could share, but we don't have time for all of them. That's a big one when it comes to mastering these internal triggers.
1: That one is huge. You know, and I've heard it done similar to that on a past guest at some point where as he is working on something, he has a pad and a paper that's just out of reach. And if a thought does bubble up, that is distracting. And it's like, oh, you know what? You should go Google this. You should go hey, remember that you have to pay this bill. Um, oh, you've got that meeting later today and you got to remember to prep for it. And as those things would bubble up, much like with meditation, he would allow the thought to be present and then he would actually reach for the pad, take the pen, not digitally writing this, and he would write that thing down and then move it away again. And it was as if it had been dealt with, or at least your mind was satisfied that you captured the thought and then let it go again. And this is a little bit – it's not the same thing, but it's a somewhat similar uh, – this is what it reminded me of.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it's, uh, it's a very – Effective way to, to deal with that potential distraction. It's amazing how, and this is a little bit like, uh, like David Allen, uh, preaches in terms of, you know, get it out of your head. So it's not constantly ruminating and, and, and put it on paper. That's how you begin to gain agency over it. Of course, you know, in, in getting things done, it's about the task. Uh, I argue that you can also use the same technique for the feeling, for the sensation mm-hmm. that you're trying to, uh, to, to not give into when it comes to distraction. Because again, you know, we can use those those uncomfortable emotional states for good. So instead of telling yourself, well what you don't tell. What people who get distracted with the way I used to operate was as soon as I would feel something I didn't want to feel, boom, I would jump into whatever that thing that was that would relieve the discomfort that I didn't want to face. So I would, you know, click onto some other website or some other task or whatever to take me out of the pain I was in psychologically. Um but of course we can use that for good by changing the narrative, by talking to ourselves in a different way. So instead of saying, oh, you see, I'm so lazy. Here I go again, getting distracted. Instead, what we can say is, hmm, okay, this task is difficult. Well, you know, difficulty is part of the process of getting better. And that can drive us to be better at that task. Okay, this is normal. This is what I'm supposed to be feeling when I'm stretching myself, when I'm pushing myself beyond my capabilities. This is exactly why uh, we form addictions to all kinds of weird things. Uh, you know, if you, if you actually sit and, and smell a cigarette, even if you're a smoker, you know, they've done these experiments where they ask smokers to just be thoughtful about the experience of smoking. And it turns out that most smokers, when they actually sit and, and inhale the, the, the scent of the tobacco burning, they're like, this is gross. <laughs> this <laughs> smells awful. It does smell awful. Yeah. They've just formed a positive association with the behavior. And so now not doing it really, really hurts. And the only way to stop that discomfort is to give into it. And, and so recognizing this, you know, they did a fascinating experiment where they put flight attendants who smoked on two flights from Tel Aviv and they, one, one group of flight attendants, uh, went from Tel Aviv to London. The other group of flight attendants went from Tel Aviv to, to New York. One was a three hour flight, one was a nine hour flight, I believe, eight or nine hour flight. And they asked these flight attendants to rate their level of cravings for a cigarette every 30 minutes. And you would think if the notion that you know addiction to cigarettes is caused by uh, nicotine being processed in the brain, being metabolized in the brain, then they should both experience equal amount of craving after a certain number of hours elapsed. But that's not what happened. What happened was, is that when the flight attendants who went to London, were 30 minutes from landing, they experienced the highest feelings of craving. Meanwhile, the flight attendants who were over the Atlantic Ocean on their way to New York experienced very little craving at the same exact minute in time. When the flight attendants who were landing in New York experienced the highest level of craving, was also 30 minutes before they could light up. So again, it was that craving, that, that desire to do something that you're telling yourself, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do, fine. That's what causes this negative, this this positive association, I should say, with the behavior and the relief of the discomfort of the behavior. And this is why, you know, the drug war in America has largely failed because we constantly blame the substance. Right. We always say, well, drugs cause drug addiction. Right. Isn't that pretty clear? Well, no, it's way more complicated than that. Addiction is a confluence of factors. And so it's never just about the product. There's always more to it. Nobody steps on a heroin needle and becomes addicted to heroin. That's just not how it works. There's trauma. There's comorbidity with conditions like obsessive compulsive disorder. There's always something going on. And so in our own lives as well, I mean, very few of us are actually addicted and we should stop calling ourselves as such. But the same underlying mechanic of, of associating a behavior with its ability to stop discomfort is, is this truism that we should, we should, uh, learn and, and utilize in our lives. But just to reframe all this in context, this is just step one. Yes. <laughs> I, do, I don't want listeners to think that the entire uh, book is just about this. That's just step one. Step two is about making time for traction. It's about uh, you know the, this fact that we can't call something a distraction unless you know what it is distracting you from. You know, Many people, it's, it's, it turns out two-thirds of Americans don't keep a calendar. That's crazy. How can you say that something is a distraction if you didn't plan to do anything with that time? So we have to keep what's called a time box calendar. And I tell you how to do that, how to synchronize that with your stakeholders in your life, like your family, your colleagues. And then the third step is to hack back the external triggers, all the pings, dings, rings that pull us off track, uh, not only on our phones, not only on our computers, but in many different aspects of our life. You know, How do you hack back an open floor plan office? Right? What if you work in an office where people walk by your desk every day? That's super distracting. Uh, how do you hack back meetings? How do you hack back email? And then the final step is to prevent distraction with pacts, and this is all about what's called a pre-commitment device that we can use to change our behavior for the long term.
1: I love it, and and then you even, though you didn't just mention it, talk about raising our kids to be able to learn this skill or grow up with this skill. Yeah, thank so. You. Let's switch over to external triggers. Uh, this is where the technology gets the bad rap uh, yeah. and, and the blame because we say, well, it's the uh, unwanted external triggers and it's the cues in our environment. And the phone the smartphone is like taking that environment with us everywhere in our pocket if it's set up as a slot machine.
0: Yeah. And, and look, that is true. Uh, you know, that's what what my book Hooked is all about. The reason I wrote Hooked uh, wasn't for the benefit of the gaming companies or the uh, uh, social media companies. They've known these techniques for a very, very long time. And I argue we want them to make their products engaging, right? I mean, we want it any other way. Uh, and so all sorts of products that are uh, engaging have used consumer psychology. They use variable rewards, intermittent reinforcement, social rewards. I mean, that that's part of what makes these things interesting. Now, I think there's a leap in people say, well, that's mind control. Let me tell you, I've been on the inside. I've tried every one of these techniques is not mind control. <laughs> <laughs> it's not mind control unless you say it is. That's the thing. Uh, there, there are studies that one of the chapters in the book is called reimagining your temperament and temperament is all about this, uh, these, these traits of a person or an animal, right? That's what temperament means. And it turns out that we all carry around with us these beliefs about who we are and what we do. And w- w- it turns out many of us, uh, myself included, again, I'm patient zero here, uh, had many of these self-limiting beliefs. One of the most pernicious uh, in in the the you know this piece of folk psychology that many people uh, believe is this idea that willpower is a limited resource.
1: Oh, that like I, power- I love this. I, I, oh, okay. I, I need to pause you and say, this has been something that has been said. On this show before by multiple people, and I was so glad to hear you say that this isn't. This is like the the Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hour rule not being Mm. a real thing, kind of a Mm -hmm. revision. So yes, uh, yes, ego depletion is what it is, right?
0: That's right. It, it's funny. I just met with uh, David Epstein, the guy who wrote Range. Fantastic book for those of you who, who, who want the debunking of Malcolm. It's not actually the debunking. It's, it's the recategorization because yes, it, it, it's 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 it, he does say that to the, anyway, that's a whole nother show. It,
1: yes. he, <laughs> but, he, Malcolm wasn't wrong. He just left yeah. some stuff out. That's all. That's right. We'll leave that's it right. At
0: that. So and it turns out the same is true when it comes to this concept of ego depletion. And we've all heard it right that that you run out of willpower uh, like gas in a gas tank. And this used to happen to me every day. I'd, you know, I didn't know it was called ego depletion at the time, but I'd come home from work and I was feeling spent. Note that word, spent, right? Like gas in a gas tank, none left. And so I deserved uh to sit on the couch and watch Netflix and eat a pint of Ben and Jerry's. Because I'm spent. No more willpower, you know? And there were actually studies a few years ago uh that that showed that this effect was real, except for the fact that other psychologists couldn't replicate the results. That when other psychologists said, hey, "This looks a little too good to be true," this, uh, you know, I'm going to do this study again. And if you've been following the social psychology uh, landscape, there's been a lot of problems now with re, uh, with um, uh, replicating the results from many studies. And this is one of the studies that kind of came under the gun. And it turned out that ego depletion does not exist. It is not a real thing. You do not run out of willpower like gas in a gas tank, except certain people. There is one group of people, and this research was done by Carol Dweck at Stanford, you might have read her uh, book about mindset, fantastic work, and she did this study where she found that willpower is a depletable resource, that ego depletion does really exist for one group of people, and that group of people are people who believe in ego depletion, (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Right. And this is this is so important because this is exactly what's going on with this current debate around technology addicting you and hijacking your brain. Well, if you tell yourself that that's true, it is true because you learn helplessness. You don't even try to change it. And so that's what I'm on this crusade to fix. I want to empower people to understand that there is so much more you can do about distraction than you may even
1: know. This dovetailed right into what I was talking about with the not eating at night thing. And what I realized was happening after the fact, like I wasn't wandering into the kitchen. I wasn't thinking about it at all. And it was, and again, it's that late at night thing. Like my willpower was quote depleted for the day. I was going to have the least amount of control then. And I just flipped the script and made it a positive thing that once or twice, like it came up and I was like, oh, you know, I feel a little hungry. And I was like... Yeah, but I'm but I'm fasting is what I would say Mm -hmm. to myself in my Mm -hmm. head. And suddenly that was a positive thing, not a negative thing. And I wasn't depriving myself. And then I noticed like I actually like we'd had ice cream in the refrigerator for two plus weeks. Haven't touched it once. Nice, nice. like, well, so, what, at all in the day. Fascinating even? about
0: that. You've used a technique, and you've you read this in the book as well, the fourth tactics, remember we talked about uh, making time for, or, sorry, mastering internal triggers, making time for traction, hacking back the external triggers. The fourth technique is about making a pre-commitment, preventing distraction with pacts. And so what you've done by yes. saying, no, I'm fasting right now, you are entering into a contract with yourself, and we can use these pre-commitments uh, to help us stay on track. It's it's a wonderful technique. It's ancient technique, uh, Ulysses and the Odyssey, does this uh, in a story that's twenty five hundred years old, uh, and so it's a very effective technique. The one warning I will say is that you know what I discovered is if you do that technique first, if you make a pact with yourself, where there's some kind of punishment or uh, effort or some kind of contract you make with yourself, it's a very effective technique. In fact, it's it's been known to be the most effective smoking cessation technique ever studied. However, it can backfire. It can backfire if you don't do the other things first. For example, if you don't remove the external triggers, if you have ice cream staring at you right in your face, uh, it's really hard to not eat it, right? Uh, so, so it, you know, you have to do the other things first, particularly when it comes to those negative internal triggers, right? Eventually, if in this process, like it's great that you're doing it. Uh, with, the, with the fasting, it's fantastic. But you also, you, you know, you also are doing it in conjunction with other techniques. You have a way to cool down when you're tempted to, to, uh, eat ice cream when you didn't want to, right? You, you're dealing with those internal triggers in other ways. So you have to do those first. Uh, and, and so that's, that's just a disclaimer. I want to make sure everybody's aware of yes. that don't jump straight into those.
1: Uh, and, and again, this is one of those things where uh, those external triggers, hacking those, you know, this is one of the, you, I mean, we've all heard this before. We've heard the, the whole, all right, if you're going to avoid eating all this junk food, you're going to just literally need to open up a giant garbage bag and go through and just start chucking it all and removing it. And that's, that's extent, that's, that's the, uh, throwing the baby out with the bathwater thing, uh, mm-hmm. that we again are blaming technology for all distractions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, there, there is, so here's the thing one of the mottos in the book that i'm most proud of cuz i have a marketing background so <laughs> the, i don't know how to say this you know politely but i'm proud of this particular motto so i'll just say it that way is the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought so if the chocolate cake or the ice cream is on its way to your mouth on the spoon too late you're you know that's that's not the time to seek willpower <laughs> right like you have to plan ahead Okay, so we do have to take steps to make sure that we don't get distracted when the time comes. And it doesn't matter what algorithm Facebook has or or how persuasive technology is. Fundamentally, we can take these steps in conjunction. You have to use these techniques together to make sure that we don't do something we'll later regret.
1: Let's talk about some of the most obvious ways that we can do some of this hacking back with these external triggers.
0: Yeah. So external triggers, this is probably the easiest, uh, of the four steps. This is almost, I don't want to call it kindergarten, but it kind of is. <laughs> even though, even though people think that the technology is the problem, it's the easiest to take care of. So, you know, in the chapter, so there's eight different environments that I, I help people hack back. Uh, you know, so one of them is your phone, your computer, meetings, group chat, open floor plan office. I walk through all these steps. Some of the easiest things you can do. It turns out, you know, two thirds of people with a smartphone in the United States of America two-thirds never change their notification settings. Like, really? You know, <laughs> I couldn't believe that stat. When I, we're calling technology addictive when you haven't taken 10 minutes to turn off all those notifications that distract you when you're with your kids or when you're in a business meeting. Come on. this is <laughs> That's not hard stuff. So I don't like to dwell too much on that because I, I put it in the book. It takes up two pages. Yes. Uh, but, I you know, for folks who maybe don't do this, apparently there's two-thirds of Americans who don't do it. Come, on, that's got to be the first step, right? There's no reason that you're gonna let these these apps ping and ding you all day long when you're doing something else. So what we want to do is we want to re- remove the ones that don't serve us from our phone. We want to rearrange our phone so that so that we're not constantly staring at all these distracting apps, right? So our home screen is is sacred space. We should remove those external triggers from that space. There's lots of tips and tricks on how to do all this stuff. Uh, some of them you will, I'm sure you will have heard one or two. A lot of them will be new to you. Uh, but I think what's less obvious to folks is how our environment can be such a sh- source of distraction. So one of the things I put in the book is this uh, screen sign. And this screen sign is something that that, that I found You know, a lot of folks uh, throughout their day, when you track how many times a day they become distracted, many people, particularly people who work in open floor plan environments, get distracted just by their colleagues. And so there's this screen sign in the book that you tear out it's made out of cardstock, so it's you know it's more rigid paper. You tear it out of the book, you fold it into thirds, and you put it on your computer monitor, and it tells your colleagues, "I'm indistractable at the moment. Please come back later." And that that's a great way not only to to signal to your colleagues that you're doing focused work, but also initiates this culture in the office that begins to change how people think about. Bothering each other all day long. And you say, Oh, well, well, I'll, I'll use headphones. Isn't that, you know, when I use headphones, people know <laughs> to leave me alone. That might be true, but it, it comes with the baggage that people think you're, you're watching YouTube videos. So, <laughs> so people don't know what you're doing with those headphones. So it's much better, uh, to, to put this screen sign that tells people I'm indistractable at the moment. Please come back later.
1: I've tried to use that before and even, you know, here working in my home office, uh they can clearly see I have the headphones on. I am doing something, but it's a matter of if I'm interacting with somebody or interacting with something that I need to focus on. Yeah. They don't know. They, they don't, don't take know. it that seriously.
0: So, interesting. So you work from home. Do, do you I don't know if you have kids. Do you have kids? I do. Okay, so this is a problem with kids. Uh, I also work work from home, and the, fo- the, the screen sign didn't work because my little girl uh, was <laughs> not perceptive enough to see my computer monitor that had the screen sign. So what do you do? My wife went on Amazon, and there's a picture of her in the book wearing this. She went on Amazon, and she found this $5 wreath crown. Okay, it's ridiculous and it's supposed it's ridiculous by design. You would not use this in an office. You would only use this at home where where it's, you know, to prevent your kids or your spouse from distracting you. And it has a battery in it that lights up you know, with bright colors, when uh, when when she turns it on, and we call this the concentration crown, and you can't miss it. I mean, it's a light up crown on her head, and whenever my daughter, you know, we did we started using this about two years ago, so she was nine years old at the time. Whenever she sees that, it stops her in her tracks, and she knows, okay, mommy can't be distracted. And I have to admit. For me as well, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I don't miss it either, and I distract her a lot less. I you know, because I, you know, people can be external triggers as well. If an external trigger is prompting you to do something you didn't want to do, whether it's a ping or ding on your phone or a person, if it's if it's prompting you to do something you don't want to do, it is a distraction.
1: Other than like the obvious visual cue for people outside of yourselves, those the, because people can be external triggers. Uh, what else? like quick win-wise, can we stick in here?
0: Sure, for which which one? The mastering internal triggers, make time for traction, hack back external triggers, or prevent distraction with packs?
1: Uh, that's a great question. I mean, we, we, we've covered it all in, in different, in varying degrees. We've covered, so. we covered
0: the, I, I want folks to realize those are the four strategies. Yes. Okay. Tactics are what you do. Strategies are why you do it. Mm-hmm. So the book is heavy on tactics and strategy, but the tactics will change. You're going to customize and come up with your own tactics. I've already, you know, the book's only been out a few, a few days now and I'm already getting people say, Oh, you know, I adopted your, your strategy. And here's a little bit of a different tactic I'm using. That's fantastic. The most important part isn't the, tactics. the most important part is the strategy that now you can look at this picture, this visual model of these four steps, traction, distraction, internal, external triggers, and now you can for the first time say, ah, now I know why I get distracted and I can do something about it. You know, there's that quote that insanity is defined as doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. This is what my life was like. Every day, half my to-do list got recycled to the next day and the next day and the next day because I kept getting distracted by doing other stuff. Well, now I can look at that and say, ah, now I know why I got distracted. and I don't keep getting distracted by the same stupid thing every day.
1: Yes. And actually, I think this is actually a really good place to stop uh, after this thought, which is this. I said this in pre-recording that there are a handful of productivity books that when people ask me for what's the best one sh- they should start with, or, or and I ask them, I kind of ask more questions about, you know, what are you dealing with? Where are you at? This book has moved into that uh, very small group. And here's why. Because when I was done with uh, examining the strategy, I had the exact same reaction. And I told you this was, I went through the book now. I need to go back through the book again mm. and uh, work on... Uh, not the strategy, but the tactics that are personal for me.
0: Yeah. And that's why you know, make sure if you if you do get the book, you can go to for those listening. I know you already have it. But uh, for those listening, you can go to indistractable.com and there's a, a complimentary 80 page workbook. I couldn't mm-hmm. put it in the book because I'll be honest with you. The book <laughs> was already 250 pages. And to add another 80 pages for a book about distraction, my wife was like, nobody's gonna read a book that long about (laughs) distraction. So so there's actually a a, a totally free workbook at indistractable.com. Uh, that helps you down this path where you can actually, you know, uh, th- uh, introspect on some of these techniques and apply them in your own life as
1: well. Yes. Yes. I grabbed that as well. And so I'll link up to that uh, in the show notes if people, you know, are a bit too busy as they're <laughs> uh, distra- being distracted from listening to this podcast uh to, or don't want to be distracted from listening to the podcast and finish it out uh, by going over to a browser to grab it. But uh, you can find it there later and uh near... This is awesome. I I mean, I seriously think this book will be, again, me coming up with my own personal tactics as well as uh, anybody listening that does the same. They grasp the strategy. They come up with their tactics and become indestructible. I almost said indestructible, but that's the point, right? (laughs) (laughs) Indestructible. Great. Great job. I I don't often. I never say that, actually. I never say great (laughs) job to anybody about their book, but I want to say great job. This is really going to be a line in the sand for me.
0: I really appreciate that means so much to me. You know, I spent five years on it and I really want to make sure that the advice was not only useful and practical, but also research back. So everything in the book is backed by peer reviewed studies and uh, it works. Fundamentally, it, it works.
1: Well, again, Indistractable is the name of the book. It's been great talking with you, and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Eric. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your podcast listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Nir Ayal. I hope that you're on your way to becoming indistractable. That's my goal, at least as well. And if you have productivity concerns, I'd love for you to hit me up on Twitter at twitter.com slash Eric with a K, the letter J. F-I-S-H-E-R. If you enjoyed this conversation with Nir Eyal, I'd love for you to do me the favor of sharing it, either with a few close friends or someone in particular that you thought of when you heard this. Just hit the share button on that podcast player app of choice you're listening to this in, or you can find the show notes over at beyondthetodolist.com. And if you want to take it one step further, you can leave a rating or a review wherever you do those. If you do those, it's greatly appreciated. Thanks again for sharing. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next episode.